Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our 2021 Elul Learning Series. Welcome to hearing a little bit more about the Hever Kadisha. Larry, I'm going to turn things right over to you. I know that originally I was going to kind of introduce, but maybe if we get a few others, I'll kind of insert that in the middle instead of at the beginning. Um, and we can we can allow you to jump right in. All I'll say in, as a matter of introduction in terms of what this class is, is um, Larry... Larry and Jennifer, though Larry in a leadership role, um, has taken on a lot of responsibility around this Kyber Kadisha that we are creating with ECAR. And a lot of that comes from personal experience and personal feeling of obligation and dedication to this particular mitzvah. And so when I asked Larry if he wanted to do this, uh, he specifically said, I don't want to teach on the actual how to do it or what it is, but rather why is it important to our community and how do we get people to feel like this is really something that is a mitzvah that we should all be doing. So that's going to be the the general kind of understanding from from this hour together. And uh, and just to Larry and Jennifer, it's just it's such a pleasure uh, when it's not just rabbis who are bringing these important things to our community. And uh, when we get to see that they are also really acts of love uh, from those who are within our community. So I will turn it over to Larry and then uh, I'll pop back in at some point. Thank you, Rebecca Schatz. And you're right. I'm not a rabbi and I don't pretend to have a, um, a, a depth of knowledge about Hebra uh, Kedisha or almost anything else. Um, I'm speaking from, to some extent, personal experience. And as, as Rabbi Schatz said, also a, a commitment for whatever reason, maybe I'll try to explain that reason, to this mitzvah of Hevra Kedisha. Um, so before I actually talk about uh, the things I want to talk about, just give you a little background. Um, my personal experience is, was, is somewhat limited, but I ha- do have experience with, with two Hevra Kedishas, one in Columbia, South Carolina, when we lived there for four years, um, when I was teaching at the University of South Carolina, and the other uh, in Columbia, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, just before we made Aliyah, we actually moved to Columbus, um, and I belonged to a Hever Kedisha there. Um, I can't even remember the number of times I actually participated, but it's it's certainly less than ten, more than two. I think it was about five or six total. Um, but I also was very interested in the in, in Hevre Kedisha from my experiences dealing with other Hevre Kedisha where they were professionalized, in particular in Israel, when people are buried in Israel. Um, the Hevre Kedisha is basically taken over by the, uh, by the rabbinate, it's taken over by the, uh, by the Haredim, and you see how they deal with the body, with the Met, and with the families and with the funerals, um, but also in the United States when I buried my father, um, also with my mother, and the funerals that I've attended. Um, they haven't all been bad experiences, but I thought that there was room for a more personalized Hevra Kedisha from the community, and that's basically what's motivated, for, motivated me. So the first thing that some people are probably asking, probably not the people who are here today, is what is a Hevra Kedisha? And um, if you want to know the details, you've got to actually study it. And Rabbi Schatz um, organized um, along with, um, I forget, I'm sorry, I didn't prepare their names. Um, Rabbi Kayla LaBelle from Ikar, right? and then from Kavod um, Benichum. Uh, Rabbi Stu Kelman and David Zinner. Right. Um, and there are organizations that help communities to establish a Hevra Kedisha. And if, uh, there's lots of materials if you're interested. If you haven't seen them and didn't participate, that uh, Rabbi Schatz can, can make available. Um, but a Hevra Kedisha, at a minimum, is simply a burial society responsible for ensuring that the bodies of the deceased, the, the Met, um, the physical remains are dealt with respectfully and according to Jewish law. Now, there's two main functions that most people know about. 
One is tahara and tahrichim, which are the ritual washing and then the dressing of the met in the traditional shrouds, is one. And the second is uh, shmirah, which is honoring the dead or the deceased by accompanying the body and reciting psalms from the time that they die until uh, until they're buried to make sure that they're not alone. But there are other things that a Chavra can do or should do, uh, and one is to support the mourners and the family members working together with, for example, the Chesed Committee that we have um, to ensure that their needs are met during Shiva and beyond Shiva. Um, the Chavra can also assist the community in lar- at large uh, to help them to understand and to carry out the laws and customs of burial and mourning. Uh, I'll talk more about that later on, um, especially in preparation for the inevitable. And the Chavra must study the rituals and the laws. Um, and traditionally, in addition to studying, getting together to continue their their um, their um, personal development, their, 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 not professional, but their development as a, as a Chavra, um, they also hold annual dinners to honor their members. And that's a, a reward and an attraction. And um, um, it can also be a fun thing as well. So um, why should you join a Chevra Kedisha? Well, one is, I can tell you it's one of the greatest services that you can perform um, for individuals who can never repay your kindness. I'm sure you all know that. That's the one thing that you can never be directly repaid uh, paid back for. Of course, we now have the for the expression to pay it forward, but it's the ultimate form of paying it forward and uh, expecting or hoping that you'll receive the same. Uh, another reason you should join is it brings comfort to your friends and to members of your community. It brings them comfort to know that the people who are caring for the for their loved ones, um, for the deceased are people who care personally, and not just people who are doing a job. Um, I'll just stop for a second. I, I, I mean no disrespect to the um, funeral industrial complex in America in general, or the Jewish funeral um, complex. I'll say something about them in a minute. But I'm sure that everyone's had the experience of seeing someone who is caring for a body. This happens a lot, by the way, in Israel. Um, who seems completely indifferent to the needs of the family, rushing around, or maybe telling people to hurry up and to get it over with their hesped, with their, their eulogies. Um, and so it's, it's very, I thought, when I saw that, that it was very important to have people who, who had the, displayed the utmost concern for the family and showed the kindness and the love that this, uh, that this act of chesed shalamet uh, should, act, should actually encompass. So here's your opportunity to to do that. Um, and the third thing is, it's a very fulfilling mitzvah. And it's one that really makes you appreciate life, the cycle of life, in ways that you may not have experienced, even if you have buried a, a loved one. Um, because you see, and you are actually participating in those things that need to be done in order to bring honor uh, to the Met. And I would even say that the concept of Kedusha, which is actually included, it's a very accurate description in the name of Hevra Kedisha, um, it is an accurate description of the emotions that participation in the, in the mitzvah will almost certainly bring you. You will feel a sanctity if you participate in this. It's not just an intellectual uh, activity. It is a, a spiritual and an emotional thing that you are doing. Um, and, I mean, the good thing is that you can actually feel rewarded from that. You can feel good about yourself from that. Um, the warning is that you may be overcome with feelings um, from, from having participated, um, and not just the feelings of, abhorrence or not wanting to touch the Met, but being over overwhelmed by what it is that you're doing. So that's uh, Diane's phone. She's got to talk to my son. Um, so the next question is, what if I feel squeamish about having to deal with a dead body? 
Because I think that most people who, 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 who are even asked or who agree to do it, that's the first thing that they think about. Can I really deal with this issue? Um, my, my short answer is probably yes. Because most people who are squeamish about blood or whatever, I'm not even speaking about death, you know, if, you, if you're like me and you watch a television show and they go to do surgery on an eyeball, I, I turn away. I can't, I can't watch. But on those few occasions in my life where something has actually happened in front of me and there's been blood or gore, didn't bother me at all. It was completely different. And especially when it was a family member and I knew I had to take care of it. And it's kind of like the way that you deal with, well, now I have a granddaughter. You deal with a granddaughter's, a child's needs. No, almost nobody has any problems. Well, maybe my brother. But almost nobody has any problems in changing a baby's diaper. And almost nobody has any problem in caring for your aged parent and basically taking care of their diapers and their needs as well. And you'll find that the same thing almost certainly is true if you join a Hevra Kedisha. It just is not nearly as difficult as you might think. Because the atmosphere of holiness, as I mentioned, and the rituals involved, and there are checklists of what you have to do, um, they overwhelm any reticence that you might have had. Very few people, at least in my, my short experience, but also in talking to others about it, very few people find that they're so uncomfortable that they don't want to continue. It's just too rewarding. But you still might decide that you cannot participate in Tahara. Okay, that's understandable. Or maybe you don't want to do that first. So there's still the opportunity to participate in Shmirah, in the, taking, in, in the reciting psalms over, over the, the Met, or in other ways by advising families, which is something I'll mention in a, in a minute, or simply by participating in the learning and supporting your fellow members of the Hevra Kedisha. There are a couple of other reasons to join, and I'll close with these. So I mentioned this before, that although Jewish funeral homes are staffed by sensitive and knowledgeable professionals, it's a responsibility, I believe, of the community to undertake this act of cheshit shalomet. In some ways, I'm sorry that we've gotten to the point of complete professionalization of these actions. I would rather that we had funeral homes that said, you as a community are responsible. We can help you, but you're responsible, as opposed to putting them as a line item on the bill that you're going to get. I'm not going to say anything more about the line item or the bill, but when you see Hevra Kedisha, Tahara, um, Shmirah on the bill you get for a funeral, if you think about it, it should bring you up short. It should make you wonder, why am I paying for this? Not because you're being cheap about it, because you want to contribute in any case to the Hevra Kedisha when, when, when they do their job, but you don't want it to be a professional obligation. You want it to be a personal community obligation. Another reason to join is this is a time when families are at their most vulnerable. And again, I'm not suggesting that anybody is intentionally taking advantage of them, but it's an impossible situation. Imagine there you are, you've probably been there, a loved one has passed, you go to the funeral home, and there you see the array of caskets that you can choose from. And you see that there's the $1,000, the $4,000, the $10,000, and you think, well, I, I love this person. I can't just go for the cheapest one. But the Hevra Kedisha needs to tell people, needs to help people to know, yes, you can. And in fact, maybe you should, because we're all equal and maybe that's what we should all be doing. And that is a role that I'll be talking with Rabbi Schatz and other members to see how far we want to go or are willing to go in terms of giving people advice about what they should do. Should you choose the takrichim that are the simplest or the ones that cost hundreds of dollars? Um, these are issues that I think need to be discussed. And I'm hoping that the Hever, our Hever Kedisha will discuss them both in general, in maybe annual learning opportunities, but also at the time when families need to have their hands hold, held and to be told, no, this is okay. Not only is it okay, it's even preferable. You can assist, we can assist these families to make good decisions in keeping with our traditions of equality and modesty. And finally, if you join the Chayra Kedisha, you'll become much more knowledgeable yourself 
and you'll be able to make better plans and better decisions for yourself and for your family. So these are all the reasons I think that you should join the Hever Kedisha, all the people who are watching on Zoom, or in the future, anybody else whose collar I'm going to grab um, to try to get it, because I would love to have a Hever Kedisha, which is made up of many dozens of members, men and women, so that, number one, we always know there's, there's going to be a large enough group available. Usually it's a team of four people necessary for the, for the Tahrir the, and putting on the Tahririm. Um, but also because we have a large number of people who want to perform this community activity. That's all I had to say. Thank you so much, Larry. First of all, that was such a, a lovely overview. And I'm sure that many people have questions, whether they're on screen currently, or they'll uh, talk to you at another time. I just wanted to echo one thing that Larry said, and this was going to be my introduction beforehand, but because no other people have come on, I'll say this and then I'll, I'll segue to Jennifer. Um, one of the things that, that I, as a clergy person, get to experience when someone passes away is that closeness to the family. I was just saying to the family who had a loss this past week that I felt like I already knew them, but you get to know them in a very different way. You get to care for them. You get to be by their side in the most vulnerable of moments, as Larry was mentioning before. And by having a Hevra Kadisha, Nothing gets taken away from the clergy. We're not giving over those responsibilities, nor would we want to. But the community gets to be part of that. And when I say that I am honored by those, moment, those moments or it's my pleasure to be with a family, it's not because I enjoy seeing people in grief or I'm glad that the person has died, God forbid. But you do have an intimate connection now with that family that you didn't have before, that there's just no way to have had before because of all the things that Larry took us through and because there's just a different connection when you're sitting in a space where everything is completely vulnerable. You don't know what emotions are going to come up. You don't know what stories are going to come up. You don't know what complications are now going to come up based on the person's passing. You don't know any of those things until you're in that space with the family. And one thing that I learned uh, from Rabbi Klingfeld, actually, when I was an intern, was that when you enter a space with a family, whether it's upon the moment of, of being in a Tahara room, which obviously you wouldn't be with the actual family, you're just with the mate. Or if you're at a, a family's home when you're about to speak to them before the funeral, that you just, you just be, right? You just are. Because all you can do is be a presence. And yes, you can answer questions and you can, in the moments of Tahara, do the actual rituals to sanctify the body. But the fact that you're just there is really all that matters. And anything you say and anything you do will hopefully be wonderful, but probably won't be remembered, right? And in the case of Tahara, you're doing something that, again, as Larry said before, is not something this person is ever going to be able to repay you, but that hopefully the other people around you will think, this is a really incredible mitzvah that I hope I get to do for other people down the line. So part of what we are building here with this Temple Betham Ikar Hever Kadisha is we, we feel like we really care for our members through life, right? We care for people while they're coming to, to shul. We care for people in order to get the education they want. We feel like we care for people throughout life cycle events. This is one piece where up until now, the Betham community has left it to the clergy, so to speak, right? Has kind of said, the person has died and the next step is just the funeral. But now we're bridging that gap. And we're hoping that people can also be there with their friends, with their community members throughout these moments that some could even say are the most holy moments of being with that person. So they're not alone, so that they're taking care of ritually and all the ways that they can't do for themselves. So I'm going to turn this over to Jennifer because Jennifer, since I first started working at Betham, so a few years now, has been working on a brochure that we're hoping is going to kind of go hand in hand with the Hever Kadisha. That 
even if you are a person who is not interested in doing the actual work of the Hevra Kadisha, as Larry mentioned, there's many ways to still be part of the Hevra. And one of them is what, what Jennifer is putting together, which is a way that people can have answers at their fingertips have information before they're even in a place of grieving, uh, and then also for the community to know how to deal with a grieving family. So I'm going to stop talking because uh, I just shared a lot of information with you, and I'm going to let Jennifer share a bit about um, this brochure. Thanks, Rabbi Schatz. Larry, that was beautiful. Um, uh, I had, before we got on, I was telling Larry and Rabbi Schatz that I was in Park City until this morning, and we were with two friends of ours all week um, who are not Jewish. And we ended up spending a lot of time, uh, they have Jewish friends, but um, one of the things they mentioned was when they came in for my husband's 60th birthday a couple years ago, um, and, and some other things that they noticed is that Jews seem to want to live near other Jews. <laughs> and one, one of them is Catholic, but not practicing. The other one is he said, if he was something, it'd be Lutheran. And he couldn't imagine making a decision about where to live based on his religion. And I said, well, you know, it goes back a long way for many, many reasons, but one of which I want you to know one of the first things that happens when a Jewish community, let's say they get off the boat in Galveston and they settle. And he looked at me, Galveston. I said, yes, Galveston um, is uh, they form a Hever Kadisha. There has to be a burial society. It's that, you know, you have to take and and really they were in awe of this concept. And so this is very timely. Um, but one of the reasons that Rabbi Schatz asked me to talk is um This did happen a a little bit before she came, but talk about the shared in terms of what Rabbi Schatz wanted to do and what I was thinking. So I want to say it was 2019, but maybe it was 2018. Like, you know, I can't tell. So I was at a ritual committee meeting and uh, Stuart Weiss is the chair of the ritual committee at the time. And uh, someone on the committee was emotionally describing uh, a death in the family at a hospital and that it must have been Chag or Shabbat, and how do they get a hold of the rabbi? And was it okay for them to put the body in the in the morgue? And you know, anyways, um, this led to a whole discussion of well, there's something on the website that tells you where to call, um, but obviously, you know, if it's a Hog, you you can't really reach the rabbi. And I, for a lot of reasons, said, you know, we need um, some kind of resource that people can have either in their hands, also on the website, where um, they can get this information. And Rabbi, um, at the time, uh, intern uh, Ariel Wolpe, now Rabbi Ariel Wolpe, said she would work with me. And we got together and we said, um, you know, we could make this about death and mourning, but, um, you know, because there's a lot um, of rules and and Jewish tradition about death and mourning. But um, why don't we expand it? Because really, um, the the life cycle issues um, incorporate Bikor Cholim, visiting the sick, as well as preparing for death. And one of the um, things that was very important to me, we had been through the death of my mother, and my mother and father had planned very well for it. And the death of Dan's dad, who did not plan, and the death of Dan's mom, who did not plan. And um, so we decided to put together this brochure, which doesn't have a name yet, but it is referred to as the, the, the death and mourning brochure. And it includes or will include, it's it's almost done, um, the area, everything that falls under the rubric of Bikor Cholim, importantly, what should you be doing to plan for death? And this is, we're hoping it will spark conversations with family members sort of during this. And because of my, my husband's situation, we have bought our burial plots. We have arranged in our wills what's supposed to happen. We've said that we want the, the plain pine box, 
you know, all that kind of thing. We have filled out, um, we've, we're putting in here that, you know, the uh, not only ethical wills, but the um, advanced directives for health. It turns out that the conservative movement through the rabbinical assembly has a form and, and um, California has a form. And this is going to sort of get into that nitty gritty as well as what should happen at a funeral. Um, this will segue beautifully into Bikor Cholim. I mean, I'm sorry, the Hever Kadisha, because we are going to address what happens after death and all, um, whether it's Shomer guarding the, the Met or um, whether there can be an autopsy, the issues regarding cremation. So it would be a resource that you might look at when you need it, or it could be a resource that is sitting on your shelf and out of interest, you want to see um, what some of these uh, areas, because you may not be experiencing a death, I hope, at the time. You may know that um, at some point a parent uh, or uh, a friend um, is, is ill and possibly facing death. And um, it also will give you an opportunity um, as a community member to understand what your community may be going through if there is a death. And um, lastly, it it is, I, I do want to say this, especially because this is being recorded and I want to make sure that people know this was not a one, a one shot uh, or one person shop working on this. We had, um, so Stuart Weiss at the time was the chair of the ritual committee. I'm the chair now. Um, Rabbi Ariel Wolpe worked on it. Rabbi Elliot Dorf, who kindly and generously let us use um, text from however many books that he has written. Rabbi Carla Howard, uh, who is um, head of the um, Los Angeles Jewish Hospice Center, I think, or it could be the Jewish Hospice Center of Los Angeles. So I apologize. Um, so she was incredibly helpful. Rabbi Schatz, of course, Rabbi Chorney and Rabbi Clickfeld. Um, so this is something that we're hoping you can look forward to seeing sometime in the fall. And um, again, it's going to be hard copy and online because uh, we want to make it as available as possible. And lastly, it, it's going to have who you call, how you get in, tar- in touch with the clergy and um, information about all of the mortuaries and cemeteries in town. Um, and what Rabbi Schatz and I are hoping we will do is in in rolling out the Hever Kedisha and the and say the the information that is uh, encompassed in the brochure is to not only get people talking and thinking, but even going out and buying their plots and and being prepared um, and not leaving it for um, for the people, uh, their, you know, their families and friends, uh, which is a tough thing um, on, on the people that you've left behind. So that's it. I'm happy to answer questions, but it's been a labor of love. And um, it's now sitting with Rabbi Clickville. <laughs> and Rabbi Schatz. It's and like, Rabbi Schatz. It's our joint desk. Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you to Jennifer. It's been really years of work on this. Um and and one of the things to go to kind of link Larry and Jennifer in terms of these things, one of the things that we're hoping comes out of the Hever Kadisha is people who might not be as interested in the actual work around the preparation of the body, but have the knowledge of how to do that, or maybe enjoy doing Shmirat and can speak to that, to also be people who can be called upon in this brochure in terms of who knows what's going on? So that it's not just, again, not just living with the clergy anymore. Now it's really a communal um, a communal responsibility. And also, as Larry alluded to, though I know he didn't, uh, he didn't want to go into detail in this, one of the things that we're also hoping to do further down the line in terms of our own Hever Kadisha, um, I guess, organization uh, would be to make sure that anybody who wants to have a certain kind of funeral, which would be the, you know, the, the, the ritual extreme, which is the basic, right? Which is the, the plain pine box and all, all of the, the plain tachrichin, all of those things that are ritually, Jewishly, halachically 
what you need for a funeral that we would try to make sure as Temple Bethon, as the Hefra Kedisha, as part of this manual, that we can also make sure that anybody in our community who needs those things can not only get those things through Betham, but can get those things without worry for their own family, whether that's financially or just in terms of resources or whatever. Um, so that's, again, something that is not in place yet, but something that we are working on. Um, a lot of this has to do with education and knowledge and making sure that people just know what it is that they need to do or need to have or who to go to. And so that's that's where we all um, come into play. So does anybody have any questions or thoughts or comments um, that you'd like to ask Jennifer or Larry? Yeah, Joanna. Um one thought and like one question. I once lived in a community where, you know, just the, the, and the, um, the rabbi and the cantor of the community were incredible, but, um, you know, if word didn't get to them about a death, like during Shabbat services, like they, there was, you know, they were not willing to be on a system of an emergency number or emergency pager to be contacted on Shabbat. And one of the most disconcerting things for people was when that death occurred on Shabbat. And even though the funeral homes won't do anything and won't start anything until after Shabbat is over, for people who don't know or whatever, it's a very disconcerting period. And what we created and what people found incredibly helpful, and some people didn't want this and were fine being on their own fine, but we created among the membership a group of people that were willing to be contacted on Shabbat about a death in the community. And we made sure, because it was a somewhat, I think from what I pick up about Betham, typical conservative community in that like some people don't use electricity, but others do. Mm -hmm. So some, yes, were on their phones, but we also tried to pick people in various neighborhoods that, you know, if you needed to walk to their house, they were accessible. Mm -hmm. And if you wanted someone to be with you on Shabbat or Chag after you heard about a death, you know, you were able to access some form of comfort yeah. um, on Shabbat and it was, or Chag. And it was a really beautiful thing that this community did. Um, is just, just to respond. Incredible. Yeah, just to respond to that for one second. I think that's much of what Larry and Jennifer are speaking about wanting this to become, right? Something that's not, again, not just though empowering and beautiful to do tahara that if for whatever reason that's not your thing this is also something right that could be so meaningful and get you to that space of tahara um which would be wonderful just because people at Bethlehem will be listening to this i just want to clarify one thing um that that we do in fact many of you have actually probably seen this happen we do have kind of a chain of command so to speak in terms of how the clergy do find out on Chag or Shabbat um, if we're on campus if we're not on campus it's a little bit of a, a messier situation but if we are on campus Orlando um, is the person who answers the emergency line. He then sends a text message to the entire clergy team. So if it's not Shabbat or Chag, we get it immediately. We know what the information is. If it's Shabbat or Chag, and in fact, this happened to me twice this year during COVID, um, someone will come into the room and tell the clergy person, during services that a person has passed away uh, and then you have that information and you can choose to either if, if you can go to the home or contact the family or as I did on those Shabbatot make an announcement so that the community knows immediately. Um, so we do have those things in place but all the more so to have you know, a, a tree of people who would be able to be contacted, I yeah. think is such a beautiful start to that process. Absolutely beautiful idea. Especially uh, well, were, people live in, you know, the same neighborhoods and stuff, which is the case uh, for a lot of people who live right near Bethlehem. Yeah. I would I would only add, and I'm not a rabbi, but I, I would never ask this as a Pesach, but I would consider it to be a, a case of pikuach nefesh, at least for me, to be able to be there for the family if it was if if it were something that they wanted. So 
For sure. Um, I know that there are clergy members at Bethlehem who keep their, including myself, who keep their, keep their phone on. Don't check it. So, you know, if I don't, if I don't hear it ding to see a text message, I might, I might miss it. Um, but have it on in case of emergencies. And I know of at least one clergy person, maybe even two before my time, who found out about a death and walked to the family's home on Shabbat, maybe the other time was Chag, um, knowing that that family was in need and making sure to be there. So Larry, that's 100% correct. And as long as we know, we try to make sure that we can do that. Um, And then my question was that I was thinking about is, my understanding of, you know, the process of taharan tahrichim traditionally is that men do it for men and women do it for women. And um, so I'm wondering, like, sort of in the conservative movement approach, does that still hold? And then as our understanding of gender really evolves and we think about now, um transgender people or people who identify as non-binary like has thought been given to that and how how does that happen in those situations i'm happy to answer this question but i'm also happy to hear larry (laughs) answer it if he wants to no we talked about it in the classes uh first of all uh my own personal point of view is that we need to respect the the gender or the, the the sex um um, boundaries. And that's why I'm really hopeful that we're going to have enough men and enough women so there won't be any problem. But Rebecca, Rabbi Schatz is going to talk right now um, about the rather extensive thought that's been given to this issue already. So it's, it is it is something that uh, uh, I was I was actually surprised that we got so much information about it because it seemed to me to be um, an important, but nonetheless, uh, edge case things that are un- you're unlikely to you're unlikely to come up upon. Um, and most of us who were in the class were probably just saying, "Well, what do we really do?" Basically, when we have a a normal case, but all of these, it seems to me that almost every contingency has been considered, um, at least by some some organizations. So the reason I was chuckling is because. One of the reasons that Jennifer has not yet finished this brochure is because there are just certain topics that Rabbi Klingfeld and I have not yet finished discussing, um, and this is one of them. We have discussed it. Um, when you first of all, when you work with two organizations, um, which, by the way, just to give a little bit of background, part of the reason that I became so infatuated with the idea of a Hever Kadisha was because when I was a rabbi in Northern California. I was part of the formation of a Hever Kadisha in Northern California um, of three shuls, three conservative shuls that came together. It's a much smaller Jewish community up there. So the three shuls come together and they do tahara for anybody from any of the three shuls um, and, and are still going. I left right before they did their first tahara, but I was there for all of the, all of the learning. So when we came to deciding that we wanted to have our own Hever Kadisha, I reached out to Ikar because they were already doing a really beautiful job and are continuing to do a really beautiful job around Shmira. So one of the challenges, though Ikar and Betham have been known to play nicely in the sandbox when it comes to these kinds of things, one of the challenges is that we have different types of membership and we also have different rabbis with different sock on halacha. Um, so part of what Rabbi Kayla LaBelle and I, we, Kayla has now left um, Ikar, but as the assistant rabbis, part of what our job was, was to put forward the questions and then speak about it with the Mara Atra of the institution, which is typically the senior rabbi. So in our case, Rabbi Klickfeld. So I'll give you the basic answer. Um, and then that was all by way of saying there's much more for us to unpack and for us to actually decide. So what I'm about to say is a general decision, but not an actual Temple Betham decision. So in terms of the conservative, um, the conservative movement, when it comes to doing Tahara, yes, men do Tahara for biological men and females do Tahara for, for biological females. Now, the, the question of gender fluidity or, or um, a transgender person really comes down to a lot of specifics. Um, is the person 
presenting as one gender, but actually biologically still another? Is the person uh, choosing to go by certain pronouns, but again, still biologically another, another gender? Now, is it for us to say, well, then based on your basically genitalia, we are going to do tahara with people who are are accustomed to that genitalia, right? Because that's basically what what you're getting at when you say women for women and men for men. Or are we going to, as Larry said before, really take into consideration who the person is in front of us? And if they say to us, I am male, then doesn't matter what's underneath those clothes. What matters is that they were most comfortable around men in those kinds of in those kinds of situations. So some of this also has to do with part of un, you know rolling out this Hever Kadisha is that anyone who has done any of these preparations before right now haven't yet, for example, filled out a form where they are male or they are female or they want to tell us, you know, which team they would be most comfortable with. We we just don't have that in place yet. So some of this stuff is going to have to kind of come as as it's happening. And hopefully in years, all of that will be in place so that as soon as you become a member of Temple Betham or of Ikar, you've made it very clear, or at the time of your transition, you've made it very clear to us what your wishes are. And then based on the halakhic decisions we've made, we then do tahara in that, in that, um, in that way. Does that make sense? Okay, it's very uh, it's very up in the air, but but those are the details that I know thus far. So I'm just glad that we're dealing with it now. Yeah, that, yeah, you know. And Larry's right that that in our Temple Betham community, though we welcome and we are growing in ways that that our membership will have less binary as we continue through the ages. Right now, the people in our Hever Kadisha learning, none of them were thinking to themselves, wait a second, who would be my Hever team, right? That's just how it was made up. Right. But for our Ikar, you know, brothers and sisters in that learning, that was not the case. And so it was really important for us to have those conversations as a joint Hevra because it's going to come up as our community grows and as their community pushes us uh, to have those really meaningful conversations. Any great other question. questions or thoughts? Yeah, it's a great question. Any other comments from our teachers? Anything you want to like leave us with? Um, I, I, I'll say that, um, you know, the, I, I guess before I was in college or maybe before grad school and graduating, I don't, I, maybe I was at Shiva's, but I, I don't remember owning being at a shiva or responsibility for a shiva. And when I joined a community after grad school in Houston um, and started to get involved, I all of a sudden was having to go to shiva. And I honestly really didn't know what the rules were. I was sort of learning uh, on the go. I didn't, I didn't know about the water outside, you know, just all these things. It just wasn't part of what I grew up with. And, um, but I remember I remember at the time saying, this is such an important thing to do as much as it's so uncomfortable sometimes to go. And uh, cause you don't know what to say and all those, all those things, but it not only has, you know, stayed with me that obligation to go. Um, but our daughter who's 26, just, she thankfully has not had to go that much, but, she also speaks very naturally now about Shiva and responsibilities. And when there have been deaths of, of, of um, like parents of her friends, she'll, I mean, she'll get people together to start arranging for food. It makes me want to cry. So um, the thing that I think was important for us is normalize it, I, I guess. But yeah. what I'd like to really do is, is really normalize the discussion about getting your getting, you know, taking care of buying your plots. I mean, it is not a nice thing to leave for, for your loved ones. Um, and going to a Shiva as hard as it is now I'm talking to, I mean, 
there's some self-selection here. <laughs> so, so I'm hoping this is um, maybe going to speak to people who really would rather not go to a Shiva. Um, but it is, um, it's, it meaning it's very meaningful to me. I, I hope that it has meaning for the people or it, it provides comfort for the people there uh, who are, who are in mourning, but um, as hard as it was, it has, it's still hard, but it is absolutely essential. So um, that's why I want to be involved in it. I have a couple of just concluding remarks. Um, one is the, the last thing that uh, Jem was talking about. Uh, I think it, it, it plays into what Rabbi Schatz said. I, I, I haven't been in that situation, but where she said, when you're with people, you just be yourself. They won't remember it. So they may not remember it specifically, but the the experience will be important for them nonetheless. And that's the that's the role that we all play when we go to a house of Shiva. About that, I would like to see the Hever Kadisha actually be very proactive in helping people to understand what to do. My very first experience in a Shiva that I remember was I lost a friend when I was he was fifteen, I was fourteen. And um one of my friends was a counselor at a camp, and his off day was a Monday, and the funeral was on a Monday. And he came in, we went to the funeral of our friend, and the mother of the, of, of, of the friend who had died said to my friend Howard, um, oh, Howard, it was so nice that Jerry died on your day off, or something like that. It was, right, right. It was like, it was such a strange thing to hear. And people don't know how to respond to that. Also, there's a tradition. Billy's saying she she agrees. There's there's a tradition when you walk into a shiva house that you wait until you're acknowledged. You don't just go and walk up to someone. Well, how many times, if you followed that, if you've been like me, where you're sitting quietly waiting and listening, and you figure you're next in line, but person after person sort of intrudes and gets in, you know, just they, they push in there and you just wait patiently. But if more and more people knew what the protocol was, not that you, there's nothing wrong with their doing what they think is normal, but it would be good to have some uh, learning sessions so people knew what they, what they could and should do. We would be able to, um, to be better friends of the mourners in the Shiva house. And the last thing I'll note is, I did look at the booklet, I haven't read the whole thing, the draft, but for example, in the part about caskets, I think it's written there that it says that it is preferable to choose the least expensive of the caskets. Mm -hmm. Um, It would be very good for that to be more than just a line in a document that someone might not remember. And at the time, someone doesn't I don't want to put the burden on the on the on the rabbis um, who can advise people and to say we know you have lots of options but your love and dedication to 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 the person you've lost is in no way reflected in the price and in fact we because Rabbi Gamliel basically said we should all be the same in the way in which we are buried um, there is merit in choosing, all of us choosing the same, simple, equal, not very well adorned casket, tachrichim, etc. Well said. Beautiful. Um, The last thing that I will say is just to go back to the actual act of tahara, um, because I know that part of this is also Larry uh, and Jennifer wanting to make sure that people who are interested in doing the actual act of Tahara, um, feel like it's something you can do no matter how you're feeling about it right this second, uh, knowing that it's something you should try and that you should be trained to trained to do. So the Hever Kadisha does not tell the family, oh, I was the person who, who did Tahara over your loved one, or I'm even on the Hever Kadisha. There's not like a list of names on the, on the website that tells you who's on the Hever Kadisha. It's a very insular, very, what the word Kadosh means. It's a very distinct group of people that no one else needs to know about. They find their own holiness in their own pact, so to speak, in their own Hever. Uh, 
when my uncle passed away, he died of pancreatic cancer. So he was jaundiced and the, a member of the Hever, of a Hever Kadisha from uh, a shul, not, not our own, uh, came up to my family. He died on a Tuesday and the funeral was on a Friday. And so we went to shul that Saturday morning uh, to say for my mom and her sibling and my grandparents to say Kaddish. And a member of the community came up to us, again, not Betham, a member of the community came up to us and shared with us that they had been, that he had been one of the members to do the Tahara for my uncle, which again, you're not supposed to do. But the story that I'm about to tell you was actually extremely meaningful to my grandparents because here was this person who died really a, a painful death and God willing, no one ever sees the loss of a child, but to my grandparents, an even more painful death in terms of what they were witnessing. And one of the things that this person said to my grandparents was, Lee, that was my uncle's name, Lee's body was glowing uh, and we saw his soul. And uh, though you're not supposed to share any of that with the family, the reason I share the story with you is because I do believe that there is something extremely intimate and extremely holy about doing Tahara, that even if you don't go back to the family to tell them that you've experienced seeing the person's soul, that whether or not there's blood or the fact that the person's naked or any of those things, I think as Larry, I've never done Tahara, but from what I've, from what I've heard, as Larry described before, those things kind of fade into the background and you are really taking care of a soul at this point. You're taking care of a body that is only at this point housing a soul. And I would just encourage anybody who is interested in doing that kind of intimate care for people of their community uh, to show some interest, to speak to Larry or myself or Rabbi Klickfeld about how to get involved in the Hevra, because we all deserve to take care of each other's souls, uh, both in life, but also in death. So this is one of the ways that we're able to do that. Uh, so thank you to Jennifer and thank you to Larry for putting so much work into this and for our many guests this evening, um, our honored, our honored VIP guests, uh, and those of you who are listening and we hope that you will be part of our Febra someday soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.